Well, we know for sure and certain now that the reason why we have some problems with our videos, it's actually this. That's why we've been turning everything off. Anyway, and the building just isn't big enough to separate the internet modem from the, um, the radio mic, so we just have to do it in this slightly clumsy way. But praise God anyhow, because it doesn't change him. <laughs> Our minor irritations never change God. I actually want to sort of continue on a little bit with the theme from the, the juxtaposition of the donkey and the, the palm leaves and uh, actually talk about the donkey and the horse this time. You can go through the next slide. Um, these are traditional paintings. The one in the top left is of Jesus riding that donkey into Jerusalem. And the bottom right-hand side, we've got a drawing, of a painting of Jesus on a white horse that's in Revelation. You see, of course, ultimately Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of all. And he comes not on a donkey in the book of Revelation, but he comes on a white horse. Why a white horse? Well, traditionally white horses were believed to be the strongest horses in battle. The white horse symbolised a military victory. I want to read to you from Revelation 19 and, and Revelation 19 follows on 17 and 18. A couple of weeks ago, we did focus on Revelation 17, which, which tells of the ult ultimate permanent destruction of religious Babylon, that the religious system that actually draws away from God, not to him. Revelation 18 is about the political and economic Babylon. Now, I was going to do that last week, but remember, because we had the children in, I didn't want to do it because it's a bit scary, gory, blood and guts and all that sort of thing. We'll come back to Revelation 18. But I think Revelation 19 is appropriate for us today because at this time of year, just like at Christmas, we sentimentalise Jesus. And it can be very easy for us to uh, turn our, our, our uh, Good Friday time together and our Resurrection Sunday time together actually into something which is religious but you see Jesus on the donkey was appropriate for that time because he had not been crucified and in the book of Revelation we read John's vision for the end of human history the end of human history occurs in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 is right at the end of that tribulation period. And this appearance of Jesus with all of the saints in heaven, 
marks the beginning of his millennial rule. So this is a critical point in the history of the cosmos because it marks the end of human history. Jesus riding that donkey into Jerusalem was in a sense prophetic. They made a mistake at the time by waving these palm leaves believing he was about to enforce a political victory. At least many commentators say that. But the political victory, the economic victory, the religious victory was to come much later. If you can bear with me, I want to read you the whole of Revelation 19. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you wonder why I use it a lot, it's because people who are not familiar with the Bible find this an easy translation. I'm not saying you're not familiar, but you will understand that not everybody at Ignite Life Church has had you know, years and years and years of Bible reading and being in church hearing the word of God. So in your own private study, you don't, don't feel you need to use the New Living Translation. Mostly I use the New King James myself. So in Revelation 19, it opens with a scene in heaven. And this is John saying after this, and this was after all of the lots of seven judgments which are poured out on the earth during the tribulation period. After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord, salvation and glory and honour and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants. And again, their voices rang out, Praise the Lord! The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. So these few verses, verses 1 to 3, are a reference to the defeat of Babylon. Religious, political, and economic. Then in verse 4, we begin with reference to the future, to the new Jerusalem. Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshipped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, Amen. Praise the Lord. Now we saw some, some months ago, the 24 elders almost certainly represent the raptured church. Um, when, we, when we were actually doing that particular uh, discussion point, I went through about uh, seven or eight reasons which would support that interpretation. Some commentators say that they're actually angels, but it's quite possible, at least if not highly probable, that those 24 elders are actually a reference to the church that has been raptured. Anyway, it goes on in verse 5 to say, And from the throne came a voice that said, 
praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty oceans, uh, mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us honour him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Then in verse 11, and from verse 11 onwards, we see reference to the white horse. This is the culmination of, of the tribulation period and as I mentioned already it marks the beginning of the millennial rule of Jesus then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there its rider was named faithful and true for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war his eyes were like flames of fire And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dripped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them. With an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title King of Kings and Lord of all Lords. Who could mistake the rider? Who could mistake the rider? The rider there is Jesus. No longer is he on a donkey. For now is coming. The time of judgment. The armies of heaven probably include angels, but they will also include the raptured church. We're all on white horses. We're all on white horses. But it's very interesting that we don't do battle, he does. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky. Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. 
Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Those are people who are living during the period of the tribulation. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. You know, one of the greatest fears of pagans at the time that John was writing was that they wouldn't actually be buried in a grave. That they would die and be eaten by wild animals or birds that live on carrion. In Revelation 19, that, that is when we see the triumphal entry, the real triumphal entry. This is when Jesus makes his triumphal second return, his triumphal entry into the end of human history. And he brings with him all the saints who are in heaven at that time. We too are on white horses because we too share in the victory. At this time, the beast, the false prophet and those who carry the mark of the beast are all cast into that fiery lake of burning sulphur, hell. And then there is a time of judgment when all of us Christians and non-Christians will be judged as well. In a sense, those people waving palms on Palm Sunday were actually looking forward to this point in history. But they didn't understand that either. Knowing this is one of the reasons why we care about the lost. Because we know that when Jesus returns, he will not be on a donkey. He will not be bringing peace, but he will be bringing war. To those who have stood against him, to Satan and to those angels that were cast out of heaven with him. The beast, probably both the beast from the ocean, the beast from the land. The false prophet, 
or those who carried the mark, which may be a physical mark, but I tend to agree with some commentators who are really who see it more as a mark on the heart where the loyalty lies with Jesus or elsewhere. He comes on a white horse with a sword in his mouth not to bring peace to the world because by then it's too late. He comes to wage war and he will have the victory. Far from pictures like this. This is what reflects and forms our belief about Palm Sunday. But I would humbly submit to you that it actually is incorrect. When the crowd shouted shouted, Hosanna, they were saying, save us now. We want to come out from under the thumb of the Romans now. And most commentators will say that was the expectation that the people had. That's why they were calling him Messiah. That's why they were laying their cloaks, their clothing on the road. They never fully understood the significance of the donkey. But we have the tremendous advantage, which should keep us humble actually, of having the revelation of John and of knowing that when Jesus returns, He will return as a warrior king. He will wage war and he will have victory. And there's nothing more certain or really no two things, I guess, more certain. One is heaven and the other is hell. I was on a Zoom call last week. Some discussions going on about doctrinal issues and part of the discussion was recognition that there are leading people in churches around the world. They've written books that have been pretty popular. They say hell doesn't exist. Or that what we read in the Bible about hell is just kind of poetic that at worst, it's being separated from God. There are those who believe, well, you go to hell for a little while, but you won't be there for all that long, and then you realise that he really is who he says he is, and you'll give your heart to the Lord and you'll be saved. That idea kind of goes all the way back to origin, way, way back in the early days of, uh, of Christianity. But there are people who quite recently have written books about it, that if God is a God of love, he can't condemn anybody to hell. But I would respectfully say, respectfully say, God isn't condemning anyone to hell. We do a good job of it ourselves, thank you very much. If we receive Jesus, 
as our Lord and Saviour as we have, we will be in heaven. If we understand that hell is real and it is eternal, then how can we sit back and allow the world, as it were, to go to hell in the handbasket? One of the reasons why Pentecostal denominations are so committed to evangelism is that because we believe that Jesus will return imminently, that is without warning. Many Pentecostals believe that there will be a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that. Not everybody believes that. But I think there's enough evidence in the Word of God to lead us to that conclusion. That makes evangelism an urgent task. And that's why in ACC there is so much emphasis on planting churches and on bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you can rely on the rest of the Word of God, you can rely on the book of Revelation. And surely there's much in it that's allegorical. There's much in it that uh, refers back to the Old Testament. There's much in it that Jews of the time would have understood. And it can make it difficult for us to decipher with our 21st century perspective. The donkey. Jesus rode into Jerusalem in peace because he came not to judge the world but to save it. When he comes again on the white horse, salvation, it's too late. When he comes on the white horse, it's to wage war against those who have rejected him. And there won't be that many people left, by the way. About two-thirds of the Earth's population uh, will have perished, particularly during the Great Tribulation period, that last three and a half years of the Tribulation. So this is a pretty serious time, really. We trivialise it with Easter eggs and hot cross buns and, and beautiful sentimental paintings. But if you want to look at it through the eyes of God, this is a pretty serious time for reflection because there's no donkey next time. Next time is the white horse. Well, God bless you on that note. Have I frightened you? We're okay, right? <laughs> we're okay. And we just want to make sure that everyone's okay. And I do want to practice this. I know that no one's going to come forward and receive Jesus as their Lord and Saviour because you already have. But I, I just believe we have to be ready. We have to be ready for a harvest. And so it's not that difficult to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to receive Jesus.
salvation. The book of Romans really only lays out two conditions. The first is publicly declare that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That you just have to say, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will experience salvation. There's nothing in there about having to confess your sins. And I suspect the reason is this. God deals with your sin after you've acknowledged him as Lord. That's why you can come through these doors in any condition. But I guarantee this, you won't go out these doors the same way you came in. You won't go out these doors the same way you came in. Because of the truth that God raised him from the dead. On that third day, raised him from the dead. And today, he is seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And we are seated with him. Picture that. He intercedes for us. We're, we're in a spiritual sense. We're as close to Jesus as Mark and Pamela are sitting together. And right next to them on that third seat, there's God. That's how close we are. That's how close we are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's go and enjoy some community time. God bless you.